1: That, of course, was sound from championship weekend when we put our fate in the hands of eight year old Johanna Steele. And boy, did she deliver the only undefeated radio show here I'm on ESPN radio. 2 0 oh, Joe. 2 0 oh, Joe. Uh, Johanna, the right Joe, uh, because Joe Fortmull, the better Joe. He, I think he went 0-2, uh, so, so we had the better Joe uh, that week. Oh, Johanna Steele, James Steele's daughter, doing our picks for us. So that's probably our plan for the Super Bowl. We might need to call her up. Yes. I have a feeling I know which way she's leaning for the Super Bowl. So we actually, I might need to think about that one. Mm-hmm. Amber and Ian, presented by Progressive Insurance. Amber Wilson, Ian Fitzsimmons. Find him at Ian Fitz ESPN. You can find me as well at Amber W Sports. Now, Ian last week was in Mobile, and every year the Senior Bowl Bull gives prospects the opportunity to boost their NFL draft stock as we head our way towards the NFL draft in April. This week was certainly, or last week rather, was certainly no exception. A lot of guys got to show off and show out. Jim Nagy, executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, kind enough to give us some time. And Jim, thanks so much for that. Let's just start with the simple question of who impressed you most—I know it's probably hard to choose one—but try to give me somebody who really knocked you off your feet.
2: Yeah, Amber, um, I would say—and I'm going to cheat a little bit here—it's a pretty easy one. But uh, Darius Robinson, the defensive end from Missouri. Uh, you know, when we vote on our practice player of the week awards, we have the guys vote on each other just so it's a little more meaningful. So, like the the guys that have they've been—they've been going up against all week. O line votes on D line corners vote on wideouts etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, but for the overall practice player of the week I reach out to a front office guy from every team and, and you know I asked for his top three and uh, Darius Robinson was I think in all 32 uh, top threes. he came into the week probably a day two prospect and and left a week um, man I, I would have a hard time seeing him 32 picks being made without Darius Robinson being one of them yeah he's a beast and by the way Jim, that's my first time going
3: back to the Senior Bowl in years, and it is so crisp and so remarkably run. Take a bow, man. I mean, it is so different from the last time I was there. It is, it is football Valhalla. So, congratulations on another hell of a week and a great game. And another sold-out game, speaking of the power of football, right? I mean, another sellout for the Senior Bowls. So congratulations to you and your crew. Uh, aside from Robinson, a couple of the players that really improved their draft stock to you. Because one guy stood out to me. And I know he hurt, got hurt on think, Tuesday or Wednesday. But Jackson Powers Johnson, uh, guard center for Oregon. That dude was, I mean, he was just a man-child out there. And I saw him a couple times in person during the year but my goodness man he was he's an anchor I mean to say
2: the least who else stood out and really improved their draft stock well yeah Powers Johnson is a cool one because he's one of the underclassmen this was the first year we've ever been able to invite you know all the juniors Um, in years past we could bring them if they graduate but this year it's all of them and Jackson was one of those guys and uh, you know he came down here with a with a hamstring injury and uh, he knew he wasn't 100 percent he still wanted to go and then he kind of he got two good like full days in, and at the end of practice on Wednesday, he uh, he kind of overextended on a pass set with his, with his leg and felt it go. And uh, I went in the locker room and saw him, and he's like, "Jim, I wouldn't, I would, I would, I'd redo this. Like, I don't, I don't care. I got hurt." He's like, "Nobody's, nobody's paying me to run a forty yard dash at the combine. They're they're paying me to to lay my hands on people." So he's like, he was really happy with his performance. Like you said, he probably put himself in position to be the first center taken. Um, and for a guy that was from Utah, I asked him. I said, what, "What? Who'd you grow up like?" And he's like, "I was a Utah fan." I said, "What happened? Why didn't you go to Utah?" He said, "They didn't offer me." So, um, for a guy that got snubbed by his in-state school and goes to Oregon, uh, really cool that he could end up being the first center. And then the other guy, uh, we kind of we made history this year. We we uh, it wasn't necessarily a trade because nothing came back in compensation, but uh, we had some roster attrition there on uh, Thursday and Friday. And I woke up Saturday morning to a text from our defensive line coach from the Miami Dolphins, and he's like, Jim, I need an inside guy. They only had three inside defensive linemen, interior defensive linemen. So we uh, looked on the other squad, and they had six, and uh, Braden Fisk from Florida State, who had an unbelievable week up to that point. Um, And really, I picked Braden because I knew he would be down for it. You know, you ask a lot of guys to make a move on the game day of the morning, literally made this call to Braden about four hours before kickoff, um and hit him with it and i said meet me by the escalators on the second floor and he came walking up and had the 2d line coaches with me and I, I said you you ready to make history and uh he kind of looked at me i'm like you're about to be a legend man i said you, you how, how are you feeling about flopping teams today and uh he's like uh, he's like coach all i want to do is play he said like, i don't care who i'm playing for so uh i knew that would be his attitude just based off what i knew about Braden coming into the week and uh he had a great he had a great game he ended up being on the winning side, but. He was guy He was a guy going into the week, probably fourth round for most teams. Uh, I'd be shocked if he gets out of the second round now he was he He and Darius Robinson were the two two most disruptive players all week.
1: Jim Nagy, executive director of the Reese's Senior Poll, joining us here on Amber and Ian. Jim, we spent a lot of time on the big names at the quarterback position, the Michael Penix juniors, the Bo Nix, Spencer Rattler. We'll get to those guys who were limited or sat out in a moment, but I want to know who else, who are we overlooking at the quarterback position who's good enough to be a starter in this league?
2: I think that's Michael Pratt from Tulane. And, uh, you know, he probably gets overlooked a little bit, um, you know, in media circles because he's a group of five player. Um, he's certainly not being overlooked in the NFL. I think a lot of teams have starter-level grades on him. Uh, probably somewhere on day two is where I would expect him to go. Uh, but you look at quarterbacks, and this is this is the old school scout in me. Uh, when I got going in this thing, you know, 25 years ago, we used to put a lot of stock in quarterbacks that raised, you know, the profile of their program and just, like, put, put a program on their back and took them to a, a places they hadn't done before. And that's what, that's what Michael did at Tulane. I mean, they, you know, it, that we all know they beat USC in the Cotton Bowl last year when he goes head-to-head with Caleb Williams and uh, had an unbelievable year this year for Tulane. And they, they, I think the only regular season game they lost was whole Miss. And he didn't play in that game. So, you know, touch, timing, accuracy, toughness, um, better athlete than you expect so you know three or four years down the road now if, if you're asking me a sleeper type that's going to end up starting I'd, I'd probably say Pratt
3: we know about Penix we know about Nix. what about the deepest position group if an NFL fan right now needs a certain guy at the, at, at a certain spot what, what's the deepest position group coming up in the upcoming draft and what you saw not only on at senior bowl week but also on film
2: I'm um, probably the offensive line, Ian, and and that's you know that's a pretty easy answer. I mean, we, we had five guys, five offensive linemen go in the first round. My first year at the Senior Bowl back in, in 2019, I think we probably will surpass that uh, this year. You're, you're going to get starting level players into the third, fourth round on the offensive line, and you know I think there's going to be a run happen too. You got everyone in the league needs guys that can block people, so I think you're going to see a run early in those top hundred picks with offensive linemen. And then the, the position that really showed up the best, uh, maybe unexpectedly during our game week, where there's probably better depth than a lot of people thought, is corner. Um, there was a lot of really good corners, so like Quinion Mitchell from Toledo was a guy that, that a lot of teams already had 1st round grades on, but he felt like he needed to come down and show it against, you know, Power 5-level competition, and he, he did. He had three really good days of practice, so that was cool to see. And then guys like Jarvis Brownlee from Louisville had a really nice week. Shaw Wade-Smith. Uh, was one of our players of the game from Washington State. Had a couple interceptions. A, a really cool, like, full layout interception late in the game with an 83-yard run back. So um, I think there's better depth at corner than than maybe people realized. Jim
1: Nagy, executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl, joining us. Jim, you've been part of. Six organizations at the NFL level that went to Super Bowls. Uh, four. You are a four-time Super Bowl winner uh, as as a scout. What is Super Bowl week as we head here towards Super Bowl fifty-eight? What is Super Bowl week like uh, to be part of that organization, but on the scouting
2: side? It's uh, it's special. It's really, it, it's really special. You, you kind of pinch yourself every year, like, gosh, this is really happening. I think anyone that works in football, you grow up as a kid loving the sport and. That's the pinnacle, um, but the week can look different. I mean, some teams teams handle Senior Bowl week differently for scouts. Uh, you know, some some teams bring, don't bring them in until Thursday of game week. Uh, I know when I was in Seattle one year, they brought us in on the Sunday before, so a full week, and we had draft meetings in New York City that year, and we we had five or six days of, of draft meetings while we were up there. We felt like we didn't we didn't want to get behind on the draft, so it can look very different, but it's it's always really special.
1: Jim Nagy, executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl and four-time Super Bowl champ. Thanks, Jim.
2: Thanks for having me on, guys. Good to Appreciate see you, you, Jim.
3: Hey, man, it was a blast. Thank you so much for the hospitality. Tr- truly football Valhalla. Thank you, buddy.
2: All right, man. I'm telling
3: you, 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 if you're a football junkie like you are, Amber, you would be in heaven down there watching those guys practice. Just we're talking what about, I've heard. So we're talking about practice going Allen Iverson, practice. and it is unbelievable.
1: I heard anybody who's anybody in football is there in Mobile, Alabama during Super Bowl week. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, does the Chiefs defense get enough credit? We'll get into that. ESPN radio is also available to you on the ESPN app.
4: The Chiefs have the Lamar Hunt Trophy, and they're taking it to Vegas for Super Bowl 58.
3: I thought our guys played hard, aggressive football. They, did, they came out and played their hearts out.
2: Mahomes
4: to throw it, fires it near side to Kelce, comes back to the ball, and holds it in. Touchdown, Kansas City! Our job now is to prepare ourselves to play a good football team in the Super Bowl and try to get that ring.
2: You can doubt the Chiefs. You can dislike the Chiefs.
4: You can disrespect the Chiefs. You're going to have to deal with the Chiefs.
1: Hell yeah. It was a good call, but who the hell disrespects the Chiefs? Everyone. Straw Everyone. man, have I ever heard one. Amber and Ian presented my Progressive Insurance. Ooh. Progressive Commercial Insurance flexes to fit your business's needs from quick repairs to adjustable coverages and even payment options. Progressive Commercial makes it easy to get what you need. Quote today in as little as six minutes at ProgressiveCommercial.com.
3: Who disrespects the Chiefs? Nobody. Like you looked, when was the last time you looked in the mirror? Amber, yeah. Nobody right. disrespects Always. the Every Chiefs.
1: <laughs> Everyone universally thinks the Chiefs are good. Patrick Mahomes is great. Andy Reid is great. That's disrespecting
3: the Chiefs right there. Yeah, you no, that it's voice? not. What's that Nobody's about? Dis-
1: the There voice? is nobody who thinks <laughs> Patrick Mahomes is not great. There is nobody who doesn't think Andy Reid is a good coach. There's nobody that doesn't think Travis Kelsey is great. Like it's, it's, These people just don't exist. We don't have to create straw men. The Chiefs are annoying because they've become a dynasty, and dynasties are annoying. I'm just tired of seeing them. But it ain't because anybody's out here saying they're not good or disrespecting them. Everybody respects that team. It's okay. like when LeBron. It's like when LeBron said, you know, and I want my damn respect too. After he won the championship for the Lakers, and he drops the microphone. It's like, all right, LeBron. Who the hell doesn't respect you? Like, there's literally probably nobody on planet Earth who doesn't respect you as a basketball player but okay anyways I digress I will say when it comes to the Chiefs although everybody respects (laughs) the Chiefs I don't believe that there's some straw man that we're inventing that doesn't respect the Chiefs I do think sometimes the Chiefs defense gets overshadowed by that offense because we spend so much time talking about that quarterback and the Chiefs defense is what's really carried them this season so Now the question is, Ian, how does that Chiefs defense match up with that San Francisco 49ers offense? Because I think that's probably really the key to this Super Bowl.
3: I've been trying to keep myself distracted uh, over the last few days. As you know, I've had some family stuff going on. So I did a deep dive into this, Amber, and it it really is fascinating. The Chiefs have the youngest defense in the league. Now that has been talked about. But one aspect of closing out games – this Chiefs defense, for eight straight games, has given up single digits in the second half of every game. That's it. Nobody has hit double digits against this young Chiefs D for the last eight games of the season. They're the best defense in the NFL in points per game in the second half for the entire season. And think about this. You want to talk about Brett Beach? and how he's drafted, and we're talking to Jim Nagy, one of the best scouts we've seen in recent history, who just joined us, the executive director of the Reese's Senior Bowl and a four-time Super Bowl champ, three with uh, New England, one with Seattle. This scouting department for the Kansas City Chiefs has hit home run after home run. Their first and second year players, freshman, sophomore players, for lack of a better term, for KC, are a combined 58 eight and oh in the postseason. Now do you know how to get to fifty eight and oh in two years? You know how many guys you've got to hit on. Right. That's That's unbelievable. That's how many rookies they have had to play significant snaps over the last two years. Eight guys started as rookies last year on that defense and special teams. I mean that's insane. So the number of guys they hit on in the draft in just the last two years alone, to accrue fifty-eight and oh is staggering. I mean, and those dudes are hunting. Like Leo Chenal last year was a special teams kind of guy, linebacker out of Wisconsin. Now he's a contributor. I mean, it, it is the guys they've hit on on the on the from Chenal to the back end of that secondary to go fifty-eight and O. That means you're hitting on damn near every pick you've got. I mean, it, 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 Amber, when I when I saw that, I had to do check my math like three times because you know I me, mean? my family ain't good at math. I mean, is this right? Yeah, 58-0. and 0. That's how many guys they've hit on last year and this year and young players contributing and hunting for that team right
1: now. It's the only way really to be able to sustain a team once you pay the quarterback because that's always the concern. If Great you pay point. the quarterback the monster money and they paid Patrick Mahomes – The monster money. I know that contract's been surpassed, but at the time, obviously, record setting. And so they pay him the bag, as they should have. And then the question becomes, how are you going to fill out the rest of the roster? Well, if you hit on your draft picks, then you're fine. Because all those guys are on rookie deals. And then you have a whole new window here, which is what has happened with Kansas City, being able to get the most out of this defense and not just relying on the biggest names on that offense who do command the most money. And so the Chiefs find themselves back in a Super Bowl in large part in a season where the offense wasn't clicking, but that defense was clicking all season long. They've allowed just 15.6 points per game through 20 games. That is the lowest average for any Chiefs defense since Andy Reid became their head coach in 2013. By most any metric, this is the best defense Andy Reid has had. There's a couple of metrics where that 2015 Chiefs team was slightly better defensively, but most metrics across the board, this is the best defense that Andy Reid has had since he's been coaching this team for over a decade now. However... They're matching up against a 49ers team that also, when you pull the metrics, say you're measuring it by offensive success rate, then this is the best offense that Kyle Shanahan has ever had. And that includes as a coordinator or as a head coach. So now we have Andy Reid's best defense against Kyle Shanahan's best offense. And what does that mean? That means that we're going to have a hell of a game in Super Bowl 58. I I, I
3: can't wait for this thing on Sunday. I really can't. I mean, we're counting down the days. Brock Purdy, career year, obviously, and he's just a remarkable story. Christian McCaffrey has stayed healthy, and he's an MVP candidate. Ain't going to win it, but he'll be in the top five. Brendan Ayuk making plays. I mean, Debo Samuel, we know he's just an absolute beast. And then George Kittle, overshadowed by Kelsey and the Swifties. But think about this. You mentioned some – and I'm not a big numbers guy, but these numbers stood out to me. San Francisco's offensive rank this year: points per game, nearly 29 points per game, third mm-hmm. in the NFL. Yards per game at 140, third in the NFL. Uh, yards per carry, 4.8, third in the NFL or fourth in the NFL. Yards per game at 257, fourth in the uh, in the NFL. Yards per play, they lead the NFL with 8.4. Uh, yards per game at 398. I mean, it, it, they are at second in the NFL. They are top five in every single category, except INTs so where they had 12 and they were middle of the pack. Other than that, go all the way down from points per game, yards per game rushing, yards per game passing, total yards per game at 398 where they're number two in the league, and the biggest one again, points per game, third in the league. Damn, that Chiefs D against this San Fran offense and the best left tackle in the game in Trent Williams, this thing is going to get nasty, and I can't wait to watch it.
1: And we're hoping for a close game. Now, that hasn't been the case when we've seen these two face off in recent years, right? Once in, of course, we know in the Super Bowl, the 31-20 Chiefs victory. Once during week seven of the 2022 season, it was 44-23 to Chiefs. But the Chiefs are 88-25 and with Patrick Mahomes as their starter. Among those 25 losses, just four have been by more than eight points. Blowouts are just as rare for the 49ers as well. They're 21 and five with Brock Purdy as their starter. Just three of those losses by, were, were by more than one possession. So not only are we talking about an all time offense against an all time defense, but we're also talking about two teams that play all of their games very, very competitively. It's going to be awesome. It's going to be awesome. I think that, long story short, when you pull all the numbers, this is going to be awesome. Super Bowl 58. Coming up next, also
0: awesome.
1: Well, only for you, James. Also awesome. It was a historic weekend in college basketball. We'll get into that next year on ESPN Radio.
0: This podcast is proud to be supported by Jets Pizza, the number one pick in Detroit-style pizza. Why? It's simple.
1: what a heck of a weekend it was in college hoops so let's bring in some help with the college ball conversation jay billis espn college basketball analyst kind enough to join us jay is on the call tonight as fourth ranked kansas takes on kansas state that call begins at 9 p.m eastern on espn and jay thanks as always for your time before i get to kk state let's talk about saturday it was historic three top 10 matchups can you sort of just sum up what we witnessed on saturday
5: yeah, it was a, a very unusual day. You know, you'd have to go to conference tournaments or the NCAA tournament to get four uh, matchups between top ten teams in the same weekend. And uh, so it was uh, it was an awesome weekend to have you know Houston at Kansas and uh, North Carolina and Duke playing together. It, it was fantastic. Uh, we were at a great great venue at the Smith Center where. You know, Carolina took on Duke, and I can't imagine a place louder than that. But uh, but Allen Fieldhouse might have matched it when they played Houston and shot seventy percent against a, a historically good defensive team by the numbers in the Houston Cougars.
3: So, which what, what game maybe surprised you the most? I don't want to say shocked or stunned, but surprised you because for me, it was what Kansas did offensively against Houston. That's the best defense in college basketball, and and Kansas made them look pedestrian especially in that first half so uh, what 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 really kind of went made you go wow going back to saturday or even wisconsin purdue yesterday
5: yeah wisconsin purdue didn't surprise me but but what what
3: really surprised me not that kansas
5: won but that they won uh shooting the ball the way they did i mean to go into that game against a team that's leading the nation in in scoring defense i think they were giving up about 53 points a game which is crazy. And then uh, they also lead the nation in field goal percentage defense. And since they started tracking those metrics in 1977, no team's ever done that. So it's, it's historically good, at least by the numbers. And, you know, I think Kansas is really, really good. But who imagined that they would shoot 70%? I mean, in both halves, they shot like 69% in the first half and 70% in the second. And to, uh, to pull that kind of thing off, Kansas missed 14 shots for the game. Uh, you might do that in the first 10 minutes uh, against Houston. And they missed 14 shots for the game. Uh, It was uh, remarkable. But, you know, Kansas is starting to uh, play a little bit better. They played well the whole year. But it's a team that we've all been saying, hey, they got four really good players. Their top four guys lead the Big 12 in in four different categories. And, you know, if you had a, a team that had one player leading the league in a category, you'd go, hey, we're pretty good. They've got a player at four different spots that's leading. They lead, uh, you know, Dewan Harris leads the conference in assists, and Kevin McCullough leads in scoring, and Hunter Dickinson leads in, uh, in rebounding, and then K.J. Adams leads in field goal percentage. But the, one of the difference makers has been their freshman, Johnny Furphy from uh, Australia, who has started the last seven, eight games, whatever it is. And In that time period, he's averaging about 14 points, seven rebounds, shooting 50% from three, and that's, that's really helped Kansas be a more uh complete team they can stretch the defense a little bit better when he's in there they're still not getting great contributions from their bench as far as numbers are concerned and productivity but uh when you got five players that are that good uh they can they can beat anybody i mean i saw i saw a headline in some outlet today say hey if kansas plays like they did against uh against houston they can win the whole thing and i'm like really yeah like thanks a lot for the headline Because any team that shoots, you know, that's as good as Kansas that shoots seventy percent against that kind of defense, of course they can. The question is, can they? Can they keep doing it? And that's a that's a tall order.
3: Jay Billis will be on the call tonight, Kansas, Kansas State, coming up on ESPN here with us on Amber and Ian on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app series, XM Channel 80, looking back on a historic weekend in college basketball for regular season matchups, four top ten matchups, uh, is what we had on the weekend, three on Saturday alone. And uh, I love how the mic caught you guys uh, in UNC Duke where the ref says, I'm about to get booed really badly. When you heard him say that, man, what was your reaction?
5: It wasn't even the funniest thing he said. Um, they, they don't have those push-to-talk mics there, which I think are great because it, it you know keeps us from droning on and on while they're looking at the replay. They just tell us what they're looking at and then make the call. But uh, that was Roger Ayers, who's a great guy. He came over the first time, uh, I think uh, it was – I know it was, when uh, – they had blown a whistle, and R.J. Davis kept going to the basket. He kind of got, I don't know whether intentionally or unintentionally, who cares. He got clotheslined a little bit by uh, Kyle Filipowski. So they went to take a look at it. He got hit in the head, and, and, and I was thinking, you know, geez, that was above the shoulder. So, um, you know, and, and clearly it was unnecessary. So there's a good likelihood they call up. Uh, they would call it, because it was after the whistle, they call it a dead ball contact technical but afterwards, uh, Roger came over with a very serious look on his face. He just leaned down. and He said, Duke Carolina, and then just walked away, which <laughs> meant, you know, there was going to be no call in the play. And I thought, I thought I thought that was the funniest part, rather than the I'm about to get booed. I was like, What well, when do you not get booed? You guys get booed all the time.
3: Uh, well, staying with UNC, the Mondo Burger, Armando bacot has got his own burger, man. And, and I saw the, this with you guys on game day. Have you had the Mondo Burger? And if you have, how good is it? I have had
5: it. It's it's like three years old ever since Nil came in, and, and a bunch of Carolina players have had different things. I think at the same place, like Leaky Black when he was there had, uh, I think it was chicken tenders and all that stuff. So different guys had different things, and I think Ellie uh, Cadeau now has like a chicken and waffles thing. Uh, but yeah, I, I had the Mondo Burger probably two years ago. It's at a tavern that's right behind one of the hotels we stay in, so I went and tried it. It's really good. But I, you know, I, I like any burger, so it's it's hard to it's hard to put a bad burger in front of me.
3: Has Reese Davis ever scolded you for not wearing adult shoes? He scolded me at the national championship in, for football.
5: Reese Davis scolds everyone on their attire, and uh, <laughs> I think he should get with the times and put the sneakers on with the suit and uh, and drop this drop this sort of Natalie attire. Uh, thing he's got going you know there's no contest here and gq magazine if they haven't called yet they're not calling
3: (laughs) amen give us a thought tonight kansas kansas state i think will the wildcats show up big and actually give us a game i know you can't make a prediction on it you're on the call but what are you expecting to see tonight
5: Kansas State has lost four in a row, and a couple of those have come on the road. For some reason, Ian uh, and Amber, winning on the road has been even more difficult than than usual, and I don't know exactly what that is. I don't think Jerome Tang is going to have to give any... You know, fire the team up pregame speech for this one because, uh, you know, it's a rivalry game that gets your blood boiling from the jump. But one thing that Kansas State has to do is they got to take better care of the ball. They turn it over too much, but if they take care of the ball, they've got good offensive players. They've got a big three that each go out and get you 20. But each one of those three, Cam Carter, Tyler Perry, and Arthur Kaluma, have to play well. Because Kansas had a couple issues on the road. They lost to UCF on the road. They lost to West Virginia on the road where they didn't guard anybody. In one of the, the only time they really didn't. So if the home court is of, of advantage to them, they got to take advantage of that by taking care of the ball.
1: Should be in an unbelievable environment tonight. Again, Kansas State, Kansas, 9 p.m. Eastern. You can watch it on ESPN. Jay Billis is on the call. Thanks so much for your time, Jay.
0: Thank you,
5: guys.
3: Oh, I'm
5: Bet till your hands bleed.
3: Everything you just heard right there from Jay Billis leads you to think Kansas. What they did to the best defense in college basketball and the Houston Cougars, one of the best teams in college basketball. It's got to be Kansas. They're only laying now three and a half. This thing opened at Kansas minus four and a half at the Little Apple. It has dropped an entire point. Buy it up to four. Give me the Kansas State Wildcats. Bet to your hands of bleed. Really?
1: So you have them. Um, you have the environment. You're going. You're going with the home environment. Though. And I got him at four and a half.
3: Bought it to five. So I'm. I'm getting an extra point. Uh, but yeah, this is one where right when I saw this number, it just didn't smell right. It didn't look right, especially the way Kansas just absolutely destroyed, chicken kicked, punked a one of the best teams in college hoop. I mean, in, in you know, Kansas State's lost what five straight, yeah. So th- this one made zero sense, and then it just dropped an entire point. Yeah, somebody knows something a lot, lot, <laughs> a lot, That's a lot more in tune than I am. But we are 48, 28 and two against the number. It bets your hands bleed. So yeah, give me the Wildcats. I'll roll the dice.
1: What does Johanna Steele tell us that we should do? Eight year old Johanna Steele, because that's the only betting advice I'm listening to. James Steele, our producer, she's two and zero. Oh. His eight-year-old daughter. She is two and zero when we left the ESPN Radio Rankum Challenge in her hands on Conference Championship Weekend. She did us the solid two. Yeah, and, I don't think she oh has undefeated. anything
0: on Kansas, Kansas State. Sorry, guys. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay, but give, give her a call. Uh, it might be past tell her, bedtime. Tell her Wildcats can
3: eat Jayhawks. Right, Jayhawks are <laughs> birds. So there you go. We're gonna go with the Wildcats.
1: The problem is going to be is Kansas State figuring out a way to stop Kansas in the paint. I mean, from a matchup perspective. Kansas should win this game. Oh, obviously. without a doubt. Without oh, a doubt.
3: Especially what we saw on Saturday. I watched every right. minute of that game, and it was – I could not believe the way that they were able to make every damn shot. And I, I saw where Bill Self said before the game, and this goes into coaching, and this could be also go into the, the Super Bowl with this matchup between Kyle Shanahan and Steve Spagnola, You know, head coach, San Francisco, defensive coordinator uh, for the Kansas City Chiefs. Bill Self said Houston is so aggressive that we have to use their aggression against them, and they did. I mean, would Bill say they missed, what, a total of 16 shots in the game? I mean, that's mean, mm-hmm. that's insane. So that's the kind of – but it's so hard to have that kind of emotion. And I know this is a rivalry game, right? But to be that good and that, that on, you know, quote, end quote, Back-to-back games, that's hard to do, Amber. That's very hard to do. But it also goes into coaching matchups, you know, and Bill Self's one of the best in the business.
1: Yeah, he is that. Now, his team, though, when you pull the advanced metrics, the Jayhawks are not taking a lot of quality shot attempts. So that's something that has been plaguing them offensively this season. Of course, for the Wildcats, there's been a whole multitude of things plaguing them offensively. They struggle mightily from three-point land. They like to turn the ball over a little too much. A little they too struggle. With their, with so their why ball is the number handled. three and a half?
3: Opened at four and a half and went down. Because,
1: because of the environment, right? I think because of the environment, because the Wildcats, like you said, dropped, what, four or five in a row here. And I think that Ugh. that suggests that this will be their championship. You know, that they are really going to come and try to give well, this their everything if they can beat their in-state rival. Yeah. I'm we had Virginia Virginia Rivalry games are always different.
3: No doubt. We had Virginia, uh, you know, minus five. They are about to wipe out Miami here, 58-35. We also had the under in this game, 132. Uh, so we hit both sides of this bad boy. So let's try and make it a trifecta tonight and, uh, and, and have a clean sweep with the Wildcats.
1: Let's do it. Coming up next here on Amber and Ian, how comfortable is Patrick Mahomes playing the villain? We'll talk about that next here on ESPN Radio.
4: This is about the best player in the history of the game, Patrick Mahomes. Tom Brady could be the GOAT because he got the Super Bowls. He's the best player in the history of the game. We are taking for granted greatness. If he wins the Super Bowl and he walks away, his career is better than those that we have considered in that GOAT conversation at different times. Peyton Manning, Aaron Rodgers, etc. He's better. Patrick Mahomes is in another world. He's by himself. He's looking at Joe Montana. He's looking at Tom Brady.
3: That's who he's looking at. He's not looking at nobody currently that's playing. He's that great.
1: You just heard the voice of Dan Orlovsky in that mashup. Who is taking Patrick Mahomes for granted? <laughs> There's a lot of straw men going on with the Kansas City Chiefs.
4: I, I don't Dan Orlovsky says we're taking greatness for
1: granted. Who, 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 who is taking Patrick Mahomes' greatness for granted?
3: I was taking Orlovsky's greatness for granted, watching him in the uh, you know the Pro Bowl in the quarterback throwing challenge where he beat all the active guys in a suit. That's
1: that's so fun, and I mean, even him. I actually watched the actual Pro Bowl itself too. I mean, I thought I just I think the whole Pro Bowl thing, the way that they revamped the whole thing with the Mannings, yep. all the skill, stupid, silly, fun skills challenges, all of it. I think it's all awesome. I'm yeah. here for it. I actually watched it. I never used to bother when the Pro Bowl was in Hawaii. And I hadn't watched. Nobody it in really forever. tried to play. Yep. Yeah, um, it's um, so fun now.
3: My oldest daughter, Rowan, when I turned during a commercial, she's like, turn it back. I don't want to miss anything.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: And it, it was a golf challenge. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I'm like, "You got, I'm like, what are you, Rowan, it, it's a golf challenge. <laughs> I know. It's, it's the trash talk. This is awesome. You know, like J- Jake Ferguson from the Cowboys hit it within 13 feet. Mm-hmm. And, uh, oh, by the way, his teammate, who happens to be a kicker, right, knocks it within two feet. You know, but obviously NFC versus AFC. Little things like that, where you have a an about-to-be-18-year-old, you know, on, on the couch saying, don't turn it. I don't want to miss anything. Uh, the Pro Bowl games were, were fantastic. And so, yeah. going back to Orlovsky, Duke can still spin it. Yeah, There was no pass rush, but yeah, he can spin <laughs> it. There was no end zone line, but Duke can still throw a football. No doubt about it. So, Dano, we are not taking you for granted and... I don't know anyone that is taking Patrick Mahomes for granted.
1: Nobody is. Everybody, so. Everyone everyone recognizes how great Patrick Mahomes is. The, the voice that you heard after Danos, where and I don't know who said it now, uh, but somebody in that intro said that he's chasing the greats. He's not chasing any of the quarterbacks in this generation, and it's true. I mean, the days of needing to compare Patrick Mahomes to Josh Allen are over, and that's not taking away anything from Josh Allen because he's also still a hell of a quarterback to watch and certainly very, very fun. But just the comparison game for Patrick Mahomes at this point, that game is the Joe Montana's of that world of the world. That game is looking backwards. The Tom Brady's of the world. That game isn't the guy is playing actively around him. And that's because everybody respects him. Everybody thinks he's great. That's why we're even having those conversations. I don't know a single, I have not heard a single person in years say anything negative on the football field about Patrick Mahomes. You can say some things off the field maybe, but not no, on the
3: About field. his brother in a heartbeat, yeah, right. off the field. The but on the field, family. Mahomes is, is the, he's the best going right now. And I, I, just, I just showed you my notepad. I wrote down that exact same name that you just mentioned. It is now, now Patrick Mahomes is in the categories of the Joe Montanas of the world. I mean, you're talking about icons, immortals, legends to play the game. That's where Mahomes is, and, and there, there's no you can't. And no one can argue that. Right. It's not as your, to your point. It's not about peers that are active right now. And and can we just stop the whole Tom Brady thing? The dude played; he was 45. I, I heard a lot of this. You know, traveling, going back and coming back from the Senior Bowl, and you know, and, and some weekend travels. Uh, I mean, it. I am tired of hearing. Well, is he better than Tom Brady? We'll answer that question when Mahomes retires. Right. That that that's when that one will be answered.
1: Right. But, Talk but, to me when Mahomes is 45.
3: <laughs> right. And let's let's just let that play out. We are so so in a damn hurry to compare and contrast and and, and judge um, you know legendary status while a guy is still active. Let it play out. So I'm, I'm not getting into the damn Tom Brady conversation with Mahomes, and he isn't either. I mean, he, he, he actually told Jeff Darlington that where he's like, look, we'll know where we stand in eight to ten years, but in the moment, that dude's the best to ever do it. So even Mahomes is is acknowledging, I ain't there yet, so just let it breathe and enjoy the moment. But he ain't chasing peers right now. Mahomes is now in that – Legendary, immortal stat. If he were to retire after the Super Bowl on Sunday, he is in the same conversation. He's in the same not conversation. He's in the same group as the Joe Montana's of the world. Yeah. and that dude and he- before Tom Brady was the best to do it.
1: If he retires after the Super Bowl on Sunday, which seems silly, but if he retired after the Super Bowl on Sunday, he's already a Hall of Famer, and and you could have him in the conversation. He's not going to surpass Tom Brady if he retires at 20 years old. I mean, that's the reality of the situation. But the reason that we tend to make these comparisons too early is because there's no one else to compare him to. And so... It's not a fair comparison. Joe Montana, Tom Brady, those guys finished their entire careers. We have to let Patrick Mahomes finish his career before we can fairly judge any of that. It's the same conversation, frankly, with LeBron. But the reason that everyone incessantly wants to compare him to MJ is because you can't compare him to anybody else in his generation because it's not really an argument. LeBron's the greatest player of his generation, period, point blank. Everybody agrees on that. So it gets boring, right? Everybody agrees that Patrick Mahomes, at this point in his generation is the greatest of his generation. So the only interesting conversation is when you go outside of his generation. But Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs are getting a bit tiresome. When you are great and when everybody agrees that you're great and then they see you in a Super Bowl over and over again, it can get a little bit old. Patrick Mahomes is finding himself in a situation where he feels like he's playing the villain. Here's Mahomes.
4: I I can definitely sense it. I I I never felt like that because I've never been like that in my entire life. But you take uh, some pride in it to know that um, everybody doesn 't like you it 's not for anything you 've really done it 's just for winning, so if that means some of the other team and other fan base aren 't going to like me i 'll try to still have a smile on my face and, and uh, not be a bad example, but I can be that villain for them if they, if they need me to be
3: I see i 'm all for this because I love the teams that continue to kick everybody else 's ass. I respect the heck out of it, and I enjoy watching it. Uh, the Alabama's of the world, you know when the Yankees were the Yankees, I mean I, I, give me that i 'm all for it. You know Georgia right now? Give it to me. I, I'm all for it. And when it comes to college football, so you know if you want to hate because you can't beat them, I'm, I'm, I'm the contrarian. I actually enjoy it, and I, I have become a bit of a Chiefs fan watching this whole thing unfold yet again because this may be his, this may be their best work to get to the Super Bowl this year because nobody really expected it, and outside of that locker room.
1: I appreciate the greatness. I also want them to lose. I will be rooting against them because I'm just (laughs) tired of it. Like, it's a story I've seen uh, time and time again, and I recognize that I'm witnessing greatness when I watch Patrick Mahomes and when I watch Travis Kelsey, and if I watch Andy Reid coach, that's great from a football fan perspective. But also, if they lose on Sunday, that will be fun as well.
4: Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring.